Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Welcome to Smart Council, Theory In-Depth Dance Movement Therapy. Smart Council provides resources and perspectives to providers and students about spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese. I'm Joshua Moore. And today we have very special guest, Mariah LaFever. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Me too. So dance therapy, is that, what is it again? Dance, actually dance slash movement therapy. That's a whole long conversation that we don't need to bother with tonight, but that's the official title. I just learned about that uh, a couple years ago. Uh, There was apparently a college degree for it, a master's program for it. Um, Do you have a degree that specializes in that? I do. I have a master's in dance movement therapy and counseling. And with those credentials, what is your corner of the counseling world right now? Well, I've done a lot of different things uh, with that dual dual licensure. Uh, the license is actually dance movement therapy, and I'm also a licensed professional counselor. Okay. So I love that I can kind of go into any setting that calls for an LPC and be like, hey, bonus, I have this other perspective uh, that I bring to it. Right now, I'm uh, doing work as a faculty member at Multnomah University. And I also started a program uh, that's in Madison, Wisconsin, that uses dance to build resilience and empowerment in underserved youth. Hmm. That is so exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What initially drew you to dance movement therapy? Well, I grew up dancing. Mm-hmm. And in high school, I had a great psychology teacher, and I loved psychology. And my parents told me that I could major in dance if I also had a real major. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Uh, so in, you showed them. Right, exactly. I know, totally. Uh, so in undergrad, I, I doubled in dance and psychology because, you know, undergrad and psychology, that's really uh, good job security. Um, and so I had a very wise advisor who said to me, well, gosh, you should check out dance therapy. And I had never heard of it. Uh, so I went back to my freshman dorm room and, you know, it took me like 10 minutes to pull it up on my computer. Uh, but I found the website and I thought, oh my gosh, this is like my two passions literally combined. Uh, so that was like first semester of my freshman year of undergrad. And I just kind of knew from then on that that was what I wanted to pursue. So you pursued it and yeah. you got it. And now yeah. you're, are you currently practicing in it or teaching it? A little bit of both. I, I have maintained a little bit of a clinical practice And I would say that I can't separate it now from Mm. the teaching. So in the um, Multnomah Counseling Program, I'm teaching, you know, counseling theories and some of these more traditional things. But because my perspective just brings the body and the embodied experience into the work that I do, it's always kind of part of what's going on, you know. So I'm always looking at this extra layer of of what's happening for us. I I'm really curious what that looks like. If I sat into your class, what would I see that would be different? How would that be emphasized? I'm just really curious. Yeah, <laughs> I've never taken yeah. a class from you. Totally. I mean, I think that part of the challenge that we have as clinicians and just in the world today is that we really put value on what's going on mentally mm-hmm. and what's going on emotionally. And it's not really, it's becoming more common, but we don't often talk about that it's the holistic view, you know, that what's going on in our body influences what's going on in our mind, influences what's going on in our spirit. And that's what I really love about dance therapy is it's saying we can't really unbraid any of these. They're they're all bound together. 
So even with with students, I like to just think about, well, when you're with a client, you're not just with them through the questions that you're asking or through the interventions that you're making. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you seated? And what's their body language telling you? Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens when they start to talk about this really important moment that happened? You know, what sort of, do you see them rubbing their hands together or do you see them looking down? And, and what can you sort of gather from whatever's going on on that nonverbal level? I've heard a statistic that the smart people who study communications dynamics, they'll say that when a person communicates, only 7% of the message is the actual word spoken. Everything else is verbals, paraverbals, body language, the nonverbals, what your body's doing, your rate and tone of speech, your eye contact. It sounds like dance. Sounds really complex all of a sudden. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Totally. Totally. We like to say, I feel like, you know, we've got some good catchphrases in dance therapy world. And uh, one of them is the body never lies. Mm. You know, and I think that there's, yes, the body never lies. I think I've heard that. And now I can attribute that. It's our dance movement therapist friends. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That does make communication seem so much more complex when you realize it's not just what they're saying. And I love how you put them, Mariah, when you said we're sitting with clients with more than just our questions or through more than just our questions. But their whole, we, our whole body is there with their whole body and our body is speaking, their body is speaking. And it sounds like the dance movement therapy premise is to really pay attention to that, factor that in and respond to that. Totally. Yep. Mm. And I think that that can look so different uh, depending on the population that you're working with. So sometimes it really is just we're sitting across from each other and this may be sort of what looks like a really classical counseling sort of setting. But as you tell me about a significant event, I ask you to pause and to track what's going on internally. So where do you feel that in your body? When you're remembering that event, you know, tell me if you can recall anything that occurred for you in your body or that you're experiencing right now. So sometimes it's on that level. And sometimes somebody might be looking in from the outside, which they don't because of confidentiality. But if they did, you know, they might be like, wow, this looks like a like a dance class. They're really like moving through the space together or, you know, drumming or throwing balls around or dancing with scarves or, you know, there's lots of different ways that we're truly engaging the whole body in the process. I think I just got uh, something that just shipped, but have you ever heard of like buzzies? It's something that everybody's talking about, but it's basically just little stepping motors that you wear on your arms or legs and it just taps, 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 taps. And normally it's like, oh, it sounds like EMDR. And like, well, sort of, except you just wear them while you're learning math. Yeah. Um, so it's this bilateral stimulation. And so yes. when we have something that affects our nervous system through a sensory process, we typically call it an evoked potential in the mind or in the brain. Um, dancing, you know, probably does enormous amounts of things to the brain. It probably causes all kinds of parts of the brain to light up and activate. I bet it's pretty hard to dissociate when you're dancing. Yes. <clears throat> and that's one of the best things about that a dance therapy really brings this really cool element of mindfulness. Mm. I find for me as a clinician, it's impossible for me not to be 100% present Mm. because I'm really tapping into what's going on in my bodily experience. I'm tapping into what's going on for the person I'm with. So there's a forced and really just innate presence that happens, but also for the client, you know, they're really in that experience, which can bring some really deep work forward. I imagine so. One of the questions I had was, what is the difference between dance movement therapy and just dance? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think that sometimes in the dance therapy vernacular, we talk about dance movement therapy versus therapeutic dance. Mm. And I think one thing that a lot of us know who found our way to dance movement therapy is that for us, dance is therapeutic. You know, so we either grew up dancing or had a dancing experience where we were like, there's more that happens, you know, when I'm dancing on some level, like it's bringing me some sense of joy or some emotion. So the difference is that while dance may be therapeutic for many of us, dance movement therapy is really interlaced with all this psychological theory and emotional theory. We use movement analysis. Uh, So these different pieces that allow us to say, Yes, dance, this does, you know, give you this emotional (coughs) effect. And this is why, you know, we can tie these pieces together. So it has that, that foundation of the counseling brought to it. What are some other features of a dance movement session? Um, If I, if I were a client of a dance movement therapist, what would I, what could I expect in session? Is there music? There can often be music. (laughs) Yes. I, you know, that's a little bit of a controversial question because I think it looks so different for everybody. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it looks different based on the client that you're working with or clients. Mm -hmm. My particular program was a very chasing. And what that means is the woman who sort of started dance therapy, Mm -hmm. her name is Marion Chase. Mm -hmm. And so she developed a theory and a lot of people ascribe to chasing style dance movement therapy. There's a lot of talk about East Coast dance therapy and West Coast dance therapy. <laughs> East Coast dance therapy tends what, to be... a swing class? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm always like, it's kind of like swing, you know. Okay. <laughs> I, and this is very loose, general, uh-huh. but West Coast tends to be a little bit less um, driven by the therapist mm-hmm. and more sort of natural what's coming out, whereas there's a more directive approach with East Coast dance therapy. So, so it can look lots of different ways maybe give me give me a population and maybe I can break it down a little bit. So you were working with a teenage girl with an eating disorder. Great. Okay, so I have worked with some teenage girls with eating disorders. Uh, some that I've worked with have been in a lot of therapy mm-hmm. and they've done a lot of the, you know, the CBT or the DBT work. They know why they think the thoughts they do. And they come to me because it's time to really integrate it on a physical level. So what does this mean about the way I move, you know, and things like that? Some ways I always do like a verbal check-in and then some sort of a movement warm up. And mm-hmm. so there's some, there's some sense of just, we're just connecting to our body right now in the space. There's not necessarily a hidden agenda. It's just about like tapping into what's going on. And then from there, the theme development sort of emerges. So uh, this particular person I was working with one time told me, she said, gosh, I just feel like I have this inner tug of war between the part of me that wants to be healthy and the part of me that is stuck in my eating disorder. And I pulled out this big stretchy cloth and I said, yeah, let's play tug of war. You know, so we're pulling back and forth with the stretch cloth and she's showing me as she pulls with frustration. I just get so tired. I just want to let it go. You know, and we're having, we took this idea that she brought up in the check-in and we're using that then to get sort of deeper into what where she was going. And then there's always, of course, closure, wrapping up. Uh, so in lots of ways, very similar to your typical session, I guess, whatever that means. Yeah. You have an overarching treatment plan for the whole arc of therapy and some goals you're working on within that. And in this case, the intervention is 
a very physical body movement oriented thing. Exactly. Which sounds like it's geared around giving a physical manifestation to an internal feeling that maybe the client is having difficulty putting words to. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Totally. So we're, we're taking these ideas. We are, we can take very, what look like on paper, very like classic treatment goals. Mm -hmm. And we can say, okay, how do we use these? um, How do we approach these through movement? So if I've got, maybe I'm working with a child who has ADHD and is really struggling to focus and find control, you know, how can I use slow motion movement and um, maybe pressing or pushing really hard objects, things like that. So mm-hmm. really finding some physical ways to get at these goals that we're looking at. That sounds really exciting. It is really fun. What are some particular diagnoses, issues, symptoms mm-hmm. for which dance movement therapy is especially effective? Yeah, I mean, I think that everything, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think that really it, it is true that the field has really grown to the point where it's working in really pretty much any anything. Well, and I'm not surprised to hear you say that, you know, in talking about you know, movement affects our cortex. Yeah. And changes what's activating in the cortex. And there's all kinds of interesting science and studies by companies like Brain Gym that are trying yes. to determine what kind of movements cause what kinds of activations in the brain. So when you ask, well what could this be useful for? You're like, I don't know. What do you use your brain for? Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, you know, I feel like science isn't necessarily the artist, the dance artist's strength, but mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, I read recently that they're saying that one of the best ways to prevent Alzheimer's yeah. is through dance because mm-hmm. there's so much bi-hemispheric interaction going on with the brain. And so it's, it's a really just amazing way to help the brain work together. That doesn't really surprise me either to hear that, Dance movement therapy is good for so many things. I think because of what you were talking about, Josh, how everything we do involves the brain. So, mm-hmm. and and everything we do involves the body as well. And, and the body, you know, uh, changes the brain. And the brain for sure, affects mm-hmm. the body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, my slant on this is coming from an addictions perspective um, and taking a very holistic approach to addictions. Personally, looking at most addictions problems as comorbid problems because. Where there's an addiction, there's probably something else yeah. going something on also. Started yeah. it, right? right, something started that <laughs> most of the time. So, so I'm already thinking in terms of what well, everything's affecting everything else. And yeah. if we're going to look at the alcohol abuse disorder, then we're going to also look at the depression, mm-hmm. which means we probably should also be looking at the body in which this is also taking place. Mm-hmm. What do you know about dance movement therapy and addictions in particular? You know, that's a really good question. I definitely had a some professors in grad school, and I have some colleagues who have specialized in addictions. I can't say as much about that because that's not a population I've worked with a Mm. lot. But um, what I hear you tapping into that I feel like is, is something that connects for me is that dance therapy, it's a slow process, but it really helps to get to the root. So it's becoming more and more popular with trauma. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming more and more popular with people who've tried a lot of things and not had success. So they're like, I've been in verbal therapy for 10 years, you know, or whatever. And just like, nothing's changing. And so when I think about that and I think about addictions, like there's more story there, right? You know, there's, there's some need that that addiction is meeting. And I love that we can get into this physical experience where we say like, what is that inner need? What's that inner impulse um, that you're experiencing that you're just trying to meet somehow? So I don't know. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I feel like I'm not an addictions expert. And yet I feel like you're hitting the heart of addiction is that addiction happens because there's a perceived need or mm-hmm. a perceived threat to mitigate right or something something about your reality is intolerable 
in some way, in some perception of value. So you do something to escape it. And yeah. that could be as benign as eating an extra chocolate bar or watching an extra episode of a show, or it could be more toxic, like I'm shooting up crystal meth. Right. Yeah. And the challenge is that we're anti-numbing, right? So lots yes. of times these addictive behaviors are they're, they're for numbing or they're for coping. And so I think the beauty and what can really be triggering and hard about the dance therapy work is that it's forcing you to be mindful and aware and be present in your body, whatever's going on with it. Mm -hmm. So that's where there's the real power and potential and also where that's why it can't just be therapeutic dance, you know, why we need to have people who are ready to talk about like what's actually going on with these behaviors once they come up in the bodily experience. Yeah, I can totally see that. I, I really like would love to see how it would apply with trauma, you know, working with clients that have mm -hmm. all kinds of body memories. Things get pretty interesting in my office. I don't have a lot of space, but if I did, or, or even if I knew techniques to get them up and getting them engaged, ultimately, I don't know if this is congruent with your practice, but I would want to see them continue to process, mm -hmm. but I would want to see them continue to process effectively without, you know, disappearing from the room, you know, dissociating. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wonder what your experience has been with trauma. Yeah. Can I'm I tell you very, a story? Please do. Please oh, do. Please do. Okay. Please do. okay. Uh, I'm thinking about early on, I worked with a little girl who had been adopted from Ethiopia and she had had a very traumatic life um, up until the time that I worked with her. And one of the things that was really powerful about her is that she had this like strong connectedness to her movement that oftentimes we might not see with a child who's experienced a lot of developmental trauma. Mm -hmm. Like she was a mover. Um, but one of the things that we look at in dance therapy is we analyze the movement and how that's happening in so many ways. What's the quality of the movement? What's the space that we're inhibiting? Um, so one of the things we look at is the movement planes, which is basically how we relate to each other. Mm -hmm. So when she started dancing with me, she had one song. It was the only song that we ever danced to. And I got so tired of that song that I knew that like <laughs> that was some structure. You know, it was her choice and her structure. And at first she never wanted me to dance with her. She only wanted to dance alone and I was the observer. Mm-hmm. And then we worked together for a really long time. And then she started to ask me to dance with her. Uh, but she wanted to dance side by side. So we weren't looking at each other. So it was kind of like the car conversation. You know, yes. like I can say things I normally wouldn't say because we're next to each other and mm -hmm. not face to face. Yes. So we danced a long time <laughs> next to each other. And then she started to say, well, you know, what if we turn towards each other? I mean, we're talking like months here, yes. you know, what if, and so then we started playing, like we were in what we would call the sagittal plane. So we were eye to eye and I would say, okay, so you, you put me where you want me, you know? And at first she'd put me way on the other side of the studio and she'd be on the other side. And eventually we were then dancing close to each other. So... It was like our spatial experience of each other was mirroring her ability to trust me mm -hmm. and to experience being with someone else on a physical level. And my assumption is that you're being very non-directive about uh, some of these choices. Is that right? That is totally okay. true. Yeah, yeah, I'm really I'm using a lot of mirroring. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching their movement mm. and picking up on their movement and then asking a lot. You know, mm -hmm. what what movement do you want to do? How do you want me to be engaged in this movement? What's my what's my role here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that it really is coming from them. And I'm not saying, here's my choreography. Let's yes. dance together. You know. I was really curious about that, too. I'm glad you asked that, Josh, about the trauma component. In particular, I was thinking, how does dance movement therapy work when there's been sexual mm -hmm. trauma? Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, I thought of the question 
one time recently when I, I went dancing. I don't normally go dancing, but I really love it and I wish I went more often. Yeah. But I went I went swing dancing with a friend and it was my first time and I was awkward, but it was great. And I was really struck by how very physical it is, how very physical mm-hmm. with other people it is. And all my clinical bells went off where I'm like, I'm touching and I'm being touched in all these ways and I don't know these people and nobody's actually giving consent and ah. And, and I was thinking about this interview coming up and wondering, well... What what does what does a really trauma informed approach look like with dance and like how do you specifically address when there's been when the body has been violated yeah. in that sort of way? What are some ways? And I imagine that there are ways like this that dancing and moving can be healing for that. Yeah, and I would say this client that I told the story about that was sort of an interesting case because she loved just dancing so much and that was such a release for her. Lots of times with people who have, you know, encountered a lot of trauma on a physical level, there's very little movement and the progress is very slow. Yeah. And there's a lot of what we might call sort of like regressed or developmental movement. Maybe they just need to lie on the floor, you know, and just experience like being held by the floor in a way, you know, and that there's something there supporting them or tuning into the breath without getting lost and dissociated in the breath, you know, so so it's very uh, subtle and it's slow and it builds, but you have to, you have to be very cautious because of what can be unleashed when you basically open up, you know, what's been violated Mm -hmm. through the body. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) And lots of checking in, you know, and and all the ethical things that you would think about as a counselor. Like I don't just go touch, you know, right. right, All those things are also, and you have to be a little more cautious when you're in this moving space together. Yeah. I'm just basking in new information. This this sounds really (laughs) exciting. I remember the first time I met a clinician who had a dance movement therapy degree. I'd never heard of it before that point. And right away I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I want to know everything about this because I still love the idea of dancing. So this is really exciting to get to know it a little bit and know what it is and just how deeply it works with a person, how holistically it works with a person. I'm wondering, probably a lot of our listeners are not dance movement therapists nor will specifically pursue that degree, but I know there is a lot of value placed on the body, on physical wellness, on using the body as a means of developing presence, decreasing Mm -hmm. dissociation. What would you say for a non-dance movement therapist, clinician, someone who's not specifically trained that way, is there a simple way you could recommend of beginning to work with the body or noticing the body? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's that's a really big question. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that we, we are seeing other modalities out there now that are tapping into these same ideas. You know, everything's mm-hmm. about mindfulness right now. And all the dance therapists are kind of waving their hands saying, we started doing that in 1940s, right. you know, yeah, yeah. sort of a thing. So there's a lot of crossover. Um, but all, the, you know, the, the tracking what's going on in your body, the breathing, all that work is a really easy, good way to to help people just pay attention to what's going on on a physical level. Uh, Any sort of like a meditation or a mindfulness. um, If I'm working with a spiritual client, you know, I'll even call it a breath prayer, which is really helpful for, for some people. And then I think just knowing as a therapist that the body matters in the space. Uh, Sometimes I'll be working with counseling students and I'll say, gosh, did you realize that it, 
at that moment, your client started rubbing their hands together nervously or, you know, or whatever, just paint, or they started tapping their foot. I wonder why they were tapping their foot there. And, you know, if there'd be a way that you could ask, you know, mention it, notice that you see something going on and ask a little bit more about it. So anyway, all those yeah. ways that... Drawing attention to their body. Exactly. Yeah. Drawing attention. And you don't have to have a dance therapy degree to do that. No. It or, sounds like Gestalt like, would do that, but maybe in a, maybe, maybe a less tactful way. Yes. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> or paying attention yeah. to resourcing your own body. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they say something mm-hmm. and you have this, like you lose your breath, you know, or whatever, and you have the, or catch your breath and you have this experience of like, whoa, that was really big. Yes. Like allowing yourself to say, Wow. Like, let's just sit with that for a second, yeah. you know, so accessing would you, that. Would you uh, identify that as having some psychodynamic traits then? Well, that's an interesting question. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't specifically, I don't feel specifically like super psychodynamic in sure. my approach. Sure. But there is some theory. There's room uh, for it. Yeah. And yeah. there's been some movement, mm-hmm. some different movement analysts who actually have a very, especially developmental psychodynamic approach. There's a movement profile called the Kestenberg movement profile. Okay. Uh, and it has a definite psychodynamic oh, okay. yeah, type. So, yeah. so that definitely, yes, exists. Depth work. Okay. You know? I think that the dance therapy is naturally very humanistic. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of room for other, other things as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I like what you said about how there's a lot of other uh, therapies that are kind of you know, tapping into some of the things where they're, yeah. they're trying to get in on what the, the, the dance therapist has been doing for a while. And, and especially from, you know, my clinic where I stand, you know, we see all kinds of therapies just absolutely emerging that are related to movement or trying to simulate like neurofeedback. We're trying to get the brain to wake up in this area, you know, maybe, maybe with some more like, you know, uh, clinical training, but they can also, you know, get up and move, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or EMDR or neurolinguistics or brain gym or somatic therapies. And there's, there's just hundreds at this point. I think there's there's more every year. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all utilizing movement, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Or most of them are some sort of sensory, uh, stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what continues to define dance therapy Mm -hmm. from all of those great things is that we fit within the expressive arts. Mm. And so we're, you know, we're sisters or brothers to music therapy and art therapy and whatever other, you know, drama therapy. I feel like that list is growing all the time too. Yes. But that we really put so much value, not only on the pure movement that's happening, but on the expressive value of the movement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just the function, which maybe a physical therapist is really concerned with like... What's the function of you being able to walk again? You know, how do we get you doing that? But the dance therapist says, what does it do for you emotionally when you're able to start to express yourself through walking if you weren't able to, you know, or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. we're looking at the more than just element. More than just what is your body doing, but what's your experience of what your body is doing? Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I had, a, I had a, a personal experience in my own therapy where uh, the therapist asked me, what do you, what does your body want to do right now? Uh-huh. And I had an answer, a very strong answer. And yeah. the answer she gave me was, well, then do it, to which led to a huge breakthrough. Which yeah. I won't go into right now, but yeah. but it was uh, something that seemed like if you if you heard my answer, you'd be like, that doesn't sound like anything. But it was because the moment that I engaged in that behavior, it activated a part of my brain that let me tap into something that had been buried. Yeah, um, and there was a boom, you know, explosion. Um, and so that question has always stuck with me. Like, what does your body want to do? Yeah. You know, and every now and then checking with our clients, like, what is your body wanting to do right now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't have an answer and sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, there's yeah. something 
right here, like on the tip of my tongue that I, like it wants, something wants to happen, you know? That's awesome. Um, yeah. And it doesn't even make sense sometimes, but yet there is a neurological connection to it. Yeah. One of my movement heroes is a woman named Ermgard Bartiniev, who's sort of, uh, she looked a lot at developmental movement mm-hmm. and movement efficiency, but she has this thing that she called the lemniscate. And the idea of it is inner connectivity breeds outer expressivity. Mm. And I feel like that is at the core of what we're doing. The more that we're connected on an internal level, the more expressive we are on an external level. You know, and I feel like that comes out in movement, but also in our ability to share verbally. Um, I imagine that impacts how we interact with others as well. Totally. The more we're engaged and aware and insightful and internally connected, you know, the the greater we see that expanse yeah. in the external world. And what was that term again? Lemniscate. Lemniscate. So it's uh, L. Oh, I have to like think in my brain. I have to see it. I'm visual. L e m n i s c a t e. Lemniscate. Yeah, and it's inner connectivity breeds outer expressivity. Interesting. There, there is a some new growing interest in. This is a bizarre question to ask. I apologize in advance, but a new growing interest in um, infantile reflexes that are unintegrated. Hmm. And these kids tend to look like they have ADHD, but they don't. Yeah. Um, and they have weird, bizarre behaviors like you know kicking tables and uh-huh. uh, certain types of movements and jerks and and, and kind of you know uh, they they look like they're hyperactive basically when you're sure. like eight years old. But I can imagine that dance therapy, dance movement therapy, would be interesting because they know they can integrate them at older ages. Yes. Um, yeah. I know because I'm one of them. Like yeah. when I when I was reading the research, I was like, ah, yeah, that, that is, that's me. Yeah. But I did integrate those. It just you know took you know an extra twenty years longer than everybody else. <laughs> um, but I can't help but wonder if uh, dance movement therapy would work for some of these issues that mm-hmm. can be disruptive. Yeah, movement mm-hmm. repatterning. Yes, you know yeah. is, is what we call that. <laughs> and so uh, I think kind of a clear example is there's we have a, a high interest in developmental movement. You know, mm-hmm. and when what's this movement that's so important when we're on our bellies as babies and when we're crawling and all these things. Uh, so there's been some studies done with uh, children who have dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And or dyslexia or other learning disabilities, and you'll notice a common trait is difficulty with what we'd call cross lateral movement, mm-hmm. which is like reaching my right arm across my body to my left knee, and and vice versa. So that it's really these these two brain halves working together. Yep. So there's been studies of like reteaching third graders to crawl, you know, to crawl in this cross lateral pattern where it's forcing their brains to interact through both hemispheres, and then what does that do for them? Either how does that help them to pay more attention in class today, you know, or on a grander scheme, what does that movement repatterning do for the brain in general? Yeah. Yeah. That's something I'm going to have to go research later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that recommended with yoga, even for adults as well. Yeah. Any movements that cross the central meridian. So like the twisty movements or the I'm reaching my right hand down to my left toe. The cross crawl. Yeah. Yeah. The cross crawl. Anything crossing that meridian is right. Mm-hmm. I have uh, five and seven-year-old daughters, mm-hmm. and the other day, I feel like, okay, what are they picking up? You know, yeah. like what I what I do for like work, and I, I go to their classrooms and I do movement. And my seven-year-old said, 
oh, mom, I think I just need to do some cross lateral movement. And she started, like, <laughs> like touching yeah. the opposite. And I felt like, oh, no. well, this is it. Like, I've, I've got a one year old yeah. to look forward to. Clinical kids. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and uh, when they were little, people would be like, are they walking yet? And I'd be like, no, they're going to crawl forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I wanted to see them doing that. Crawling. Well, I was actually on the floor with my daughter crawling with her to encourage her to crawl so we crawl around the house we've got like like an eye you know like the the o-shaped house we go in a circle yeah and just crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl and just encourage that behavior (laughs) yes all the crawling for Mm -hmm. sure have you found that there are any particular populations that are that are especially excited about this like this like it great for kids they just eat it up Mm. or i guess conversely populations that are maybe more reluctant to engage in this Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I find, um, my first years out of grad school, I worked almost primarily with autism and developmental delays. And that was really powerful for me because I was really able to see like, I'm, I'm in a group right now with three kids who are verbal and three kids who are nonverbal. And it really doesn't matter because we can all engage together on this level playing field. So that was really powerful. Trauma is a big one. I have not worked with this, but there's a lot of work being done with dementia, you know, and this idea that the body remembers even when the mind doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why we turn on a waltz and all of a sudden somebody, you know, who hasn't been talking and who's pretty much in their wheelchair is getting up and waltzing. Mm. Um, So, so that's really cool. That's really great brain research, cool stuff being done with veterans, uh, PTSD, Mm -hmm. you know, specifically related to that population. Lots of work being done just on acute units in hospitals. I think part of the value of the dance therapy degree is that you really learn how to cater it to whatever population you're working with. And so it's hard to say that there's a population it doesn't work with because we all move somehow, you know, or we all experience it's movement true. somehow. Yeah. So, but it just yeah. looks really The more PTSD, different. the less probably. But, right. You know, yeah. The more need to move, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it just... It takes on such different forms right. with each group. Right. I think it was Besser van der Kolk that said that uh, he defined PTSD as a disorder of movement. Mm. We overmove in the areas of our trauma and we undermove in all the exceptions. Good. I love that. And so, uh, yeah, a movement therapy would seem appropriate. It would seem appropriate. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting that a lot of populations are able to, to access this sort of therapy, this sort of experience. I'm visualizing in my head a, an old grizzled veteran yeah. guy just thriving and blooming in, in yeah. the dance movement studio. I, 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 I am a veteran and I find it a little harder to visualize. <laughs> I, it's a little bit of a far-fetched image, yes. but like I'm yeah. creating it in my head and it just lovely. That's how the therapist could probably yeah. pull it off. So, <laughs> so with dance movement therapy, a couple logistical questions about accessibility. Yeah. So is dense movement therapy considered evidence-based leading to the question, would it be covered by insurance? That is a good question. I think that as a field, we are working in that direction. You know, I, I've had my degree for 10 years now and I have definitely seen change even in the research that's being done. And I think the more that these big names like Bessel van der Kolk are saying movement matters, we see it happening in the brain, Mm -hmm. you know, the more we're able to validate at present, of course, every state is different, like anywhere, uh, sort of the the best way to be sure that you're covered by insurance is to be dual licensed. Mm, so okay. like for me, that means I'm licensed as an LPC and also through the National Association as a BCDMT, which is a board-served dance movement therapist. Oh, interesting. Yeah. However, I bill 
insurance companies with my LPC. Um, So it really varies from state to state, but I know that here in Oregon and many places, that's sort of the way people are going. So programs are... Programs are aiming towards this dual licensure so that you're able to bill for your services. That makes sense. So speaking of programs, so uh, let's talk to counseling students who might be listening and perhaps they're hearing you and they're thinking, that's it. That's my calling. She's got it. She's got it. So what should a counseling student do? What steps do they take to, to find a school, to join a program? Do they need to know how to dance to be a dance movement therapist? Yeah, good. All good questions. So this is going to be where I sound like the commercial. Uh, But (laughs) we we do have a national association, which is the American Dance Therapy Association. And you can go to the ADTA website and just find all kinds of like details that I could never cover in this time period about approved programs and things like that. The other thing that you could do that would be so much fun is every year we have our annual conference. It's next week, and it's like my favorite four days of the year. That sounds fun. Oh, let me just tell you, the Saturday night banquet dance is like <laughs> like no other dance what you've you ever seen in your life. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, every no. year the live band that comes in from whatever town we're in uh-huh. is like, uh, I, we've never seen anything like this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, so we have an annual conference and lots of resources on the website. The, uh, there is no undergrad in dance therapy, so you can't practice. You, you need to do master's level training. There are right now, I don't want to say this wrong, but I believe there's seven approved graduate programs in the country. Unfortunately, they're pretty East Coast based, you okay. know, unfortunately for those of us on the West Coast. If not, you are licensed, it, are there certifications or workshops? So there are, yeah. Okay. And so uh, you can also do something called alternate route training. Mm-hmm. So if you have a license, if you have a counseling license or a social work license, then you can take these other courses through remote um, experiences or weekend courses, things like that, to become approved through the alternate route. So there's traditional route and alternate okay. route. The other thing you can do is, you know, maybe you're not going to do the full-blown thing, but do a workshop, yeah. you know, or um, sign up for the, the conference or an intensive. There's lots of opportunities like that where you can say, oh, well, I just want to integrate movement into my yeah. work some more. Uh, so find find a local offering on that or make a summer trip of it, you know, do, do a training in it. Sounds great. Okay. So there's smaller workshops a person could attend to try it out. See if they like it. Yes. See if it's calling their name. And then there's the approved programs throughout the country on the East Coast. Lucky them. Yeah. The grad schools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few a few smattered yeah. other places too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then assuming that the program goes well, how does a dance movement therapist find work? Where where would they work? What kind of space would they need? Well, again, that really runs. <laughs> it really runs the gamut. Um, but I think you might apply for work anywhere that is traditional, you know, that, that's traditional for a counselor or a therapist to apply and, and bring your movement-based perspective. I've used the rooms here in the counseling house and pushed all the furniture to the side, you know, and said, this, this is where we move. Flexibility is a key component. If you can't be flexible, <laughs> you know, literally, physically, all those things, uh, good luck. Because you, sometimes you're like, and we're now dancing in this tiny hole. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you make it work wherever you're at. And um, yeah, for the job question, I feel like that's so tied to what your passions are and then how you're able to help people explain how you bring it 
how you meet the needs of people using movement. That sounds really exciting. I remember, I'm thinking now something I thought when I first encountered this and I thought, I should have done this. I think I missed missed something because (laughs) I love everything about this. I love... Mm -hmm. Well, I love the idea of dance, even though I'm not a really great dancer, but I love the idea of, of movement and of liberating the body in that way so as to liberate the motion. Um, I love the other catchphrase I stumbled upon reading a little bit a little bit about this, motion and emotion. I'm forgetting it now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Motion, no. Emotion in motion. Emotion and motion. They're, yeah, yeah, they're very yeah. connected. Yeah. And... That whole that that holistic approach, that very integrated approach, it just seems so sensible yeah. to address the whole person in that way. Yeah. I had another thought about the training. Oh, this is what I was going to say. You'll find, I'm a little biased in this, but I think it's pretty true across the board. Most dance therapists are really eager to talk about what we do because we're, t- we're trying to build this field, you know, sure. that, that we need to share and explain what we do. So another thing is that I know I'm always like, opening and I'm like, email me, we'll have coffee. I'll tell you about it. You know? And I think in general, you don't maybe know when you start, but if you become a dance therapist, you become an advocate <laughs> like, cause you yes. pretty much have to like advocate you and have explain. To. Right. Well, and I think there's a lot of industries that, that probably went through those stages like marriage and family therapists at yeah. one point couldn't really bill insurance and they had to really get together and advocate and they had to hire lobbyists and yeah. you know, me being neurofeedback, we're going through the same thing. We're probably in the same adolescent stage that DMT yes. is in where we're like, well, we kind of can get reimbursed, but I mean, there's a lot that helps, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's not reliable enough thing. to stay in a network, uh, at least in most states. There's not really a lot of functional networks, but but it could be better next year, and it could be better the year after that. Yeah, um, it'll I mean, likely what's going to happen when I'm one of the mm-hmm. the white-haired dance therapists who's rolling yes. around at the you know at the dance therapy conference on the right. floor? Well, who I, knows what yeah. state we'll be in? <laughs> yeah, right. right, but I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, reasons why we should be hopeful. It worked for acupuncturists mm-hmm. and chiropractors and marriage and family therapists, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it's just a matter of being an advocate long enough with enough people. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So speaking to the free spirited inner advocate in yeah. you, Maria, yeah. what is, what's the reason or two why you think every student should take dance movement therapy? Oh, how do I boil that down? I think because we bring our bodies into our sessions and our clients bring their bodies into the session, you know, and I, there's no, I, I can't say it any simpler than that. Like we can't close off this experience, the experiences that we have had in our bodies that we're bringing in, and also the in vivo in moment experience that we're having relating together. Uh, so for anybody, for any therapist, just something to open their eyes to that, you know, right. to say this is this is part of what I'm bringing into this picture, and this is part of what my client is bringing in, and I can honor us better if I can be aware of it. So you might not be totally trained in it, you know, but just knowing it exists is sometimes half of what, what really matters. Mm. Prioritizing some of the body work, some of the body processing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And then maybe finding one or Mm -hmm. two questions that are helpful for you. You know, maybe it is if you incorporate breath work, maybe Mm -hmm. that question I love, Mm -hmm. you know, what does your body want right now? So if you can just start to have a few ideas of bringing that in that can really, um, I want to say revolutionize. Maybe that sounds dramatic, but you I know. don't think it's overstated. No, yeah. I personally had a, a positive experience with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can really it can change your work mm-hmm. for sure and augment it. So, yeah, certainly deepen it. 
Yes. Um, to have more than just, here's my set of questions that I ask, but mm-hmm. here's the whole body to consider and a whole new language, to really. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally different way of approaching counseling in a way that I don't think it does a lot of repeat work. Mm-hmm. Um, people can go and do talk therapy for years, um, and we have, there's a lot of things that I think can, can get at this, like we do something called alpha theta. Mm-hmm. People have done all kinds of all kinds of talk therapy, and they're like, there's nothing left to work on, but I still have problems. Mm-hmm. Well, we do something that brings out body memories. Things yeah. get really, really interesting. Ooh, very interesting. And I can imagine um, dance movement therapy as bringing up a lot of that body memory. Yeah. And um, allowing for things to process that just you're not going to get at with some types of talk therapy. Right. And just heightening the awareness for the present of what your physical experiences are. Mm-hmm. You know, so once you've sort of turned that on, then you're taking that out into your week until you see your counselor again. And you're just having this richness and deepness into your own human experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're definitely going to look more into it. Um, I'll probably go do some research. I'm going to go look and actually dig up some like QEEG brain maps and try to see if there's pre-posts and all that. So I'm very, oh, very good. excited. You yeah. got me busy for the next week. And I'll probably go check out with some associates and see who wants to take a class. <laughs> I think I might just go dancing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. Good, too. Yeah. So. so, Mariah, where could a prospective client or a prospective student find you on the web? Oh, sure. Um, I do have a website that is my name, MariahLefebvre.com. And I've got some links to dance therapy and to uh, some of the different work I've done, a few chapters that I've written. So you can Mm -hmm. find that stuff there. Uh, You could also hunt me down on the Multnomah University website, see maybe what classes I'm teaching. Hopefully, pretty regularly, I'll be doing a dance therapy elective. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll take. I should take that too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So, Being being a Multnomah alumni, uh, I think you do get We do get some free audits, yes. Yeah, Yeah, dance therapy. (laughs) Or since I have keys, we could just show up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure you're supposed to do that. that. (laughs) It's cool. I'm open. I'm trying trying to spread the love. Cool. Well, Mariah, thank you for being here and yeah, sharing dance movement with us and yeah. your love and expertise. And thank you listener for following us and you can continue following us on Facebook at smart council podcast and on Twitter at smart council 601. And we'll be back next time with more smart council. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, and let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at Smart Council 601, and you can email us your questions and comments and feedback at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Joshua Moore can be found on the web at neurofeedbackcare.com, and Reese Pasimio can be found on the web at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Basimio and Joshua Moore.